come bitter rain and wash from my heart that saddest of all words, home. Welcome everyone to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Drive series. Drive Back the Night. Oh man, I am so excited. I have some, I have some Red Bulls and uh, I'm excited. We're going to be doing this. Wait a second. Ryan we, hopped up on Red Bull? Yeah, oh yeah. We did that a few episodes back. Oh yeah. The pearls over his eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's old? Yeah. That's, yeah, we can't do that one again. Uh, like I said, right. Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Yeah, and we're getting into episode 21 uh, it makes a lovely light, which of course is another flash episode. And uh, incidentally, I had a hard time watching oh, this because no. I was trying to watch it on my iPad. Yeah, and as is. you know, iPad does not yeah. support flash. Dude, we did. You did that joke already. I did. Yeah, same episode actually. Oh, the pearls that were his eyes. Yeah. Oh, you're reusing a lot of of old bits, aren't you? Um. Yeah. Actually, you know what it is. It's We've kind of run into some some budget constraints. Uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, we're just I'm I'm starting to try. I'm, I'm trying to reuse some old shots. Well, you know, we have to use the old sets. Yeah, recycle stuff. Yeah, sometimes people see through it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, like we said, this is uh, episode twenty-one. Uh, it makes a lovely light, uh, and, and as you mentioned, it is another flash episode. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in just a second. You know, Ethan, I want to commend you once again. For being here tonight, uh, if you're listening to this uh, regularly as they're released, then you probably know that this is coming out late. Um, Ethan's been under the weather. Yes, I have. And uh, so we had to postpone our, our normally scheduled recording night, and uh, here we are uh, an evening later, and uh, he's uh, he's pulled himself several, together. Several evenings later, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm well enough to be here, so yeah, let's let's do this. All right. Well, I guess first off, Ethan, uh, trivia. Were, were you able to find some time in actually, your... Uh... Actually, yes. Yes, I did. Good. If you'll remember, Ryan, when mm-hmm. we had our discussion with Robert Hewitt Wolf, um, I don't believe the segment made it onto the part of the interview that we aired on Drive Back the Night. However, the full interview is on the Age of Geek podcast. So if you want to hear this bit that I'm about to go into, it is on the, the full interview that we had with Robert Hewitt Wolf on the Age of Geek podcast. It's like issue 45, I think. But in that discussion that we had with Robert Hewitt Wolf when he was talking about his time writing for Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. one of the ideas that he wanted to do was to have the first officer of the, the station, Kira right. Norris. Mm-hmm. He wanted to have an episode where she fell into drug use. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of her time spent uh, in the the resistance mm-hmm. movement, because of the things that she had seen and experienced and done, she fell into drug use as kind of to cope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that got shot down. So right. he, he, she was too too much of a main character, right? Yeah, yeah they weren't going to allow that to happen to one of their Star Trek characters. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, give the guy his own show. 
and uh, <laughs> you tell him he can't do it in in another show, it's going to come back in one that that he's headed up. So yeah, uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf he he made sure that that this story got introduced to, into. Uh, Becca's character. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're now getting to that story, so we're able to talk about that a little bit. Uh, also, the uh, the surprise party, and I got this off the uh, the Andromeda Wiki, uh, the surprise party that we see at the very outset, mm-hmm. the, the emergency core meltdown, whatever it was, that mm-hmm. gets Dylan all riled up. That was actually introduced in the script for Double Helix, and uh, they didn't have time to shoot it for that episode. Uh, but they they tabled it and, and wanted to come back to it later, so we get to see it in this episode. I'm thinking just off the top of my head that early on, if it was in Double Helix, it wouldn't have made much sense. At least you wouldn't. It wouldn't be the joke mm-hmm. that it gets played off as. Um, it just doesn't seem like they would have known their captain well enough that early on mm-hmm. to be able to, to to play a joke on them like that. So you know, we get it late in the season, which I think works just a little bit better. Uh, Lisa Ryder was nominated for a 2001 Gemini, that's the Canadian equivalent to an Emmy, uh, for her work on this episode. And as you remember, again, from our, our interview with her, uh, and you can hear that uh, in an earlier episode of Drive, By- Drive Back the Night, our interview with Lisa Ryder, uh, this was one of her favorite fil- uh, favorite episodes for filming mm-hmm. because she gets to act irreverent while she's on Flash. And so uh, that was really fun to see her in that capacity for this for this episode and finally what i've got is uh the reference in the title it makes a lovely light that actually comes from a poem from 1920 uh, written by edna st vincent malloy and it reads my candle burns at both ends it will not last the night but ah my foes and oh my friends it gives lovely light so that's where our uh, our title comes from, hmm. and it seems very appropriate uh, mm-hmm. for for the 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 role that uh, Lisa Ryder that Becca has in this role. Uh, her, she's certainly burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and uh, it won't last long that way. But we'll get into that a little bit further. Let's see why this is such a fun episode. Ryan, why don't you give us the rundown of "It Makes a Lovely Life"? Sure thing. Emergency on the Andromeda. AP valve malfunction in the reaction chamber. Dylan races to the slipstream core as Andromeda counts down the seconds to overload. Oh wait, there's no emergency. It's a surprise birthday party as all of Dylan's friends are waiting to help him blow out the 300 plus candles on his birthday cake. Hey Trance, you missed one. Celebration is over, and now comes the part of the party where the guest of honor takes on a more melancholy mood, reflecting on his life, especially his last birthday, which was with Sarah on Tarn Vedra, Dylan's homeworld, the lost Atlantis of the three galaxies, the center of the old commonwealth cut off from Slipstream 300 years ago. To cheer him up, Becca gives him his gift, a collection of slip roots, supposedly leading to Tarn Vedra. Where did it come from? Now for some much-needed exposition. Unless you watched episode 17, Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way, then it's just a review. Gerontex led Trance and Harper on an ill-fated attempt to acquire Hasturi's diary. A mad Perseid who was rumored to have searched the slipstream for Tarn Vedra found it and recorded it all. Instead, Gerontex walked away with the plant and Trance and Harper got the diary. Now back to It Makes a Lovely Light. Becca has read and reread the diary and believes she has decoded his map. Tarn Vedra is now just a measly 46 jumps away. They go for it. Ten slipstream jumps later, and Dylan orders a break, though Becca protests. She doesn't want to lose the momentum, but Dylan insists. 
It is then discovered that they are trapped in a sort of gravitational pull between the two galactic cores of Andromeda Galaxy. One wrong move could cause entire planetary systems to be ripped to molecular shreds, and the ship wouldn't fare too well either. Becca goes to the Maru for a little pick-me-up drink where she discovers Trance. She has been riding out the slipstream storm in her old bunk. Trance says she's not feeling well, and then collapses on the Maru deck. In medical, Rev Bim doesn't know what's wrong with her, but says they are losing her. When Rev leaves, Becca, now overcome with exhaustion, gets into the medicine cabinet and makes herself a batch of flash. Trance catches her and tries to stop her, but in her weakened state, can only plead with Becca not to do it. Becca continues her course and drops the drug in her eyes. Her pupils dilate wildly and she is ready for another round of slip piloting. First job, get the ship out of the gravitational riptide, which she does masterfully, and then gets snippy with Dylan and calls him Captain Terrific. During the slipstream event, back on med deck, Trance convulses as if in extreme pain. Harper goes to see Becca on the Maru, where he discovers her little secret. She threatens him if he doesn't keep quiet to Dylan about the matter, and he quietly and reluctantly walks away. Back on command, Becca thinks she's figured out the rest of the route and is ready to give it another go, but Dylan isn't comfortable with her math. She starts getting really snippy until finally, Tear reveals that she is under the influence of mind-altering drugs. Becca throws a fit, and Dylan has her thrown off the bridge and taken to the brig, or V-deck. As Becca paces in her cell, she starts to suffer from withdrawals, while Dylan tries to pilot the ship himself with no success. Meanwhile, Rev Bim comes to talk with Becca. Dylan tries to go into slipstream again, this time successfully, but comes out not where he was headed. Instead, they are closer to Tarnvedra. Becca has incapacitated Rev Bim, a few service droids, and has taken over the helm from the slipstream core. And she is blitzed as she continues to take more of the flash. This last jump has put them dangerously close to a radiation field. After she cuts off communication with Dylan, they distract her with a holographic image of Dylan while Harper busts in and regains control. Dylan also comes and restrains Becca as she then begins to OD. Harper pilots them back out of danger. Later in med deck, Becca, as well as Trance and Rev Bim, have fully recovered. At least physically. Becca now understands that she must live the rest of her life fighting this addiction, but Dylan assures her that he will help her every step of the way. The end. Good job, Sparky. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> uh, this is a pretty good episode for... Um, there weren't really any light moments, but they tried to, they tried to, to put some in there. To their credit, mm-hmm. I mean, like the whole uh, uh, we we come back to uh, again referencing the uh, the interview with with Lisa Ryder. We had another moment there where they tried to create some sexual tension. That idea were they? of <laughs> were they because that was the most awkward scene yeah. that I think I have ever seen. Yeah, where, where, where of any comes, show ever, <laughs> where she comes out of the shower. Yeah. And he yeah. hits his head on the the bulkhead behind yeah. him, you know. Um, that to me, that was not that was not tension between Dylan and Becca. To me, that was more just Dylan doesn't know how to act around girls. 
And, I mean, in, yeah. in the last episode, you had joked about giving Dylan the Captain Kirk Award for yeah. the episode. Not very suave in this so, episode. So, yeah, you kind of got to wonder, how does he do it? Because if this is how he acts around girls, <laughs> I mean, Harper should win it every week. He should. No, that... Yeah, I mean, that was... That was the thing about it is exactly. I mean, he seems to have a way with women, but Beck is like his kryptonite. <laughs> you know, it's just he just doesn't quite know how to take her. You know, doesn't know how to to act around her. He, he, and maybe that's that's it. I mean, he views her as a as a as just a friend, as the first officer, and for him, there is nothing beyond that. Yeah, Unless, and but again. She's playing with it. True. Yeah. She sees exactly what's going on. Yeah. And she thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a Rev Bim sighting this week. <laughs> wow. He actually showed up for this one. Yeah. So wherever he was last time we didn't see him. Right. He came out of it safe. I guess so. I mean, I, I, I what we've got here is another ship in the bottle episode. We don't leave Andromeda mm-hmm. at, at any point. Um, which is what happened last week, which there again indicates we're getting down to the end of the season. Money's getting a little tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not going off campus or anything. So, but yeah, um, I'm guessing there. they're saving their money for for the, the finale. The finale, yeah, probably so. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so I thought that was interesting. Not a mention of him one last week, mm-hmm. and then and then now he's back, and it's not like a. I would have loved to have, for them to have got, gotten a nod. Him walk onto the bridge or the command deck. Hey, Rev, how's how was your trip? <laughs> just give us that. <laughs> we didn't get any of it. He's just he's there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he kind of comes and goes as he pleases. It sounds like. You know what? You just made a little Freudian slip. What's that? And I think it's the same Freudian slip that either uh, that either Kevin Sorbo made or maybe Ethel Anvar, who wrote the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have ever heard this once in all of the 20 episodes prior to this one. They said bridge. Oh, they did say bridge. They did. They said bridge. Because Dylan it, it, said, yeah, yeah, when he was having his little confrontation, the second one, the big one with, with Becca. The big blow up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically get off my bridge. Yeah. And go to the V deck. Yeah. They should have said brig if they're safe. They're going with that uh, terminology. <laughs> yeah, because all all the references we've gotten to this point were were command deck mm-hmm. or command level. Yeah, we've never heard bridge mm-hmm. until now. Interesting. I did like the the banter in this episode, mm-hmm. particularly uh, on the command deck. On the command bridge. On the command bridge. <laughs> command bridge. There you go. <laughs> I did like the the banter that we had between Rami and Becca and and uh, Rev. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is Rev, right? That is the name, right? Okay. <laughs> so, so, so I, I I liked the banter that we had between the three of them because I went to the manuscript mm-hmm. for for this episode and I looked up those things that they were referencing, and I don't see any hits on the internet that it comes up in literature at all. So they're talking about just made up literature, literary quotes. Um. Well, with with exception to the reference to centaurs, which okay. we're all familiar with that from mm-hmm. Greek mythology. But the, for, from that point on, they referenced something Bertram or or 
I, I, I forget. I the believe name, that though. is a, uh, a the name of a Canadian actress. Is it? <laughs> well, not Bertram. Oh. Not Bertram. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, Einstein, Einsteinium, Einstein. I, I forget what the name was. Now I should have wrote it down. But anyway, they reference this name and this literary work that he's done. Rev pipes in. Oh yeah, the Hawks of scrotum or <laughs> not scrotum <laughs> it starts with an s <laughs> but but yeah he makes reference oh you know and, and he he knows what beck is referencing but we as the listener have no idea what they're talking about and then rami makes that offhand comment yeah sure if you like beheadings so obviously this is a a ghastly tale or, or a ghastly ending to the tale or something to that effect. But just the way that the, the actors played that so well, like they all knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, I, I thought it was a genuinely well acted moment. And it's, I love seeing little tidbits and little details like that in an episode, like, like what we got here. Definitely something in universe. Yes. So I have a question about Slipstream, and I, I know we'll probably have a more in-depth discussion about Slipstream yes, we will. later. Um, but here's a, here's a point I want to hit real quick before we get too serious about it. You ever notice when the pilot is getting ready to go into Slipstream, they get in the chair, and then they put on the five-point harness. Yeah. Everybody else is just standing around. Yes. <laughs> um, Trance is just laying in the bunk on the Maru. Yeah. Um, everyone else is standing at their posts. Rev's monitoring sensors. Yeah, and, I mean, you could say that maybe we just don't see them strapping in or something like that. I noticed that right when they came out of Slipstream the first time, Rev comes walking right onto (laughs) the command deck. Yes. I mean, there was absolutely no time. It was just, we're in normal space, in comes Rev. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is such a jarring, jolting ride, you know, I, I don't know. It just seems it's like ti- Rev, it would timing. take him a couple of minutes. Timing. Yeah. <laughs> timing is very important. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get what you're saying. I did not pick up on that, but I, I know what scene. I know the scene. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, maybe he was sitting on a little chair outside the door. Maybe he was on his way up. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare for slips because they always say it right before they do it. Prepare for jump to slip slip space slipstream. Do they say it on a loudspeaker or do they just say I, it to the I bridge think, crew? Well, uh, that, that's a good question. I, I mean, don't know. it depends if if Tier is on command. Well, Tier, it doesn't then, matter for Tier. Yeah, then he would Tier know. knows what's going. If Tier's down in the weight room, he would know. <laughs> he would know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really not sure, but yeah, he does. Without uh, without a hitch, without missing a beat, he does walk stroll right onto the command bridge. <laughs> I can't watch this episode without thinking of the police wrapped around your finger, you know, because mm-hmm. of that reference we got to Scylla and Charybdis. Just I just had to bring that up. Oh, okay, it's been stuck in my head all week long. <laughs> just just gonna sh- just gonna lay that on you. Uh, you. You said that there there weren't really any light moments for the most part. Um, there was one again. Tear. If anyone offered any comic relief in this episode, to me it was Tear. Okay. Because when he calls out Becca for being on drugs, and Dylan asks him, "Why didn't you say anything?" <laughs> the way he just so casually, nonchalantly, 
It was working. It was working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I laughed out loud. Did you? Yeah, the same as I did last week when uh, with the whole trapping Rami with the with the DNA. Yeah. Uh, my thought was in watching it, I was like, well played. <laughs> yeah. Well played, sir. <laughs> Uh, keeping it on the subject of tear, I loved the point when Becca's pacing in her cell. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's she's having that little dialogue with herself, and she's talking talking about tear. Mm-hmm. Two words for you, buddy: anabolic steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed out loud for that. In fact, my wife was sitting in the chair next to me, and she hasn't watched the show like I have. Um. But she laughed out loud for that too. I mean, she she even recognized, you know, that yeah, this guy's juiced. You know, he's he's ripped. It's probably not completely natural. I don't know. I'm not saying one way or another. But she laughed too at it. I thought that was a great line, great moment. I like to think it's all natural. So we have another security problem. Okay. So evidently, somebody can just in this huge high guard battleship, they can just say privacy mode <laughs> and then andromeda just ignores whatever is going on there right right um here's what i think should happen anytime anyone activates privacy mode anywhere on the ship there should be an instant message sent to the captain <laughs> saying somebody so and so just enacted the privacy mode on such and such deck. Even should, if it's the captain. Somewhere. Even if it's the captain. Yeah. Still, you know, just Andromeda should say, the captain just ordered a privacy mode in the captain's quarters. Did you approve this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I think the captain should be able to say, no, 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 let's go ahead and see what's going on there, down there. There needs to be like a redundant recording that, that kicks in. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody's directly monitoring, but there is at least some record of what happened in the room. I mean, a, a, a president might get shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. As we've seen happen on this show, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, it, it shouldn't be that easy to bypass security monitoring. I was happy to see that 3,000 years in the future, microwaves are exactly the same. On the Maru. <laughs> okay. She nuked yeah. her... Uh, her, her wake-up juice? Yeah. In a microwave. Yeah. Just like the one hanging over my stove. You are exactly right. And <laughs> you know what? It's amazing. That stuff just... I, I didn't catch it. If it works. If yeah. it works. Yeah. Why change it? No. You're right. I, but I didn't catch it. I guess because a microwave is so common today, we just... You know, who knows what other things they would have on that set that there's no way we would have 3,000 years ago. But we're But we think so much here and now. Yeah. Um, you remember on the the first pilot episode of Star Trek, there's a CRT TV in there. Yeah. What was it? By by 30 years later, those things are outdated. Yeah. And yeah. definitely by now, forget it. You, you can't give away a CRT monitor. No. no. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Still have one in my garage, actually. <laughs> Um, I have a question for you. What's that? Do you remember when they were trying to distract Becca in the uh, the slipstream core room? And so they had the hologram of, of Dylan pop up in there, kind of startled her. Yeah. And then she's having the conversation with the hologram of Dylan. Okay. 
And then Harper jumps in. He takes the control back over. But then the real Dylan walks through the doors. And and, and the hologram is not walking. Mm-hmm. Did, <laughs> did you happen to notice what the hologram did do? Did it have like a surprise look on his face or something? The hologram turned and looked to see who was coming, through, was the coming door, through the door and then disappeared. Yeah. So I'm wondering... What is that hologram? Pre-recorded message. Well, I mean, he he. How did they know how the conversation was going to go down? I mean, that was very Ferris Bueller. If okay, they did, okay. So maybe it's Rami, as in Dylan's form and voice. See, that's scary. That is scary. That's another <laughs> reason to not trust AI. There you go. Oh, you. I mean, isn't that impersonating an officer? Yes, it is. I got one last one. Harper leans over the console in the engineering station to override what Beck is doing. We got another Niner. Did you miss that? I did. You pointed out the Niner last week, and I missed it. Now now we got another <laughs> Zelasny 4-Niner was his override oh, code. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm shocked that you missed that. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, that's it for you. That's it for me. All right, Ryan. So let's learn. Let, let's let's discuss what we've learned in this episode about the universe. Okay, the Andromeda universe. Uh, first of all, the question that I wrote down here as I'm watching it is, which galaxy is Tarnvedra in? I believe it's in the Andromeda galaxy. I thought so too. Mm-hmm. But most of the stars that they make mention of on along the route are all in the Milky Way. E- yeah, but I mean they're. You got to go through the Milky Way first, and then get to Tarnvedra. And the way Slipstream works, I mean, it's just so. And, and that brings me ultimately to what I'm getting at. Is okay. I must not have a good concept yet of what Slipstream is, and and how you navigate it. This whole idea of finding routes mm-hmm. along the Slipstream, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have trade routes, you have certain paths within the ocean, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, somewhat mapped out. Mm-hmm. Stands to reason that you would have that in this version of space travel, the slipstream. But why do you start over here in this galaxy to get to a point in a neighboring galaxy? I'm, I'm not understanding how that gets you from point A to point Z. With what forty six jumps, what whatever it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around the concept. Can you help me with that? Um, short answer: No, <laughs> because th- it doesn't make any sense. From what we have already learned about slipstream, it's not like traveling down an autobahn or or just some some established highway. It's it's supposed to have to do with intuition. Yes. And just knowing where to go. That's why Andromeda can't do it. You have to have somebody that's very good at the intuition and just feeling their way through. And so, I don't... Yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand how you can actually have slipstream routes to get somewhere... When it's all supposed to be just by intuition. I mean, yeah. if you're at if you're at point A and you know that you want to get to point Z, why do you have to go through the whole alphabet? Yeah. 
Yeah. When when the way that slipstream has already been explained, it seems like you should just say, I'm at point A, now I'm going to feel my way straight to point Z. Yes. And something else I noticed was it. they obviously are cutting out a lot of time off the trip for what we see. Because for us, it looks just... It's, Entering slipstream, zoom, bouncing around, coming back out of slipstream. But that first 10 jumps, uh, we find out that was over the duration of 16 hours. Yeah. Becca is exhausted. The rest of the crew is exhausted. Trance is almost dead. <laughs> yeah. So it takes its toll. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, are they all on that that hard ride the whole way through? You know, I mean... it. Or do they, you, you, I guess part of what it's, what is so hard is that we are used to warp drive, yeah, hyperspace, stuff like that. And you go into warp, everything's normal. You just walk about the ship, go about your daily business, everything is fine. Slipstream, you are, if you're lucky enough to be the pirate, the pirate? Pirate. If, <laughs> if you're... In Slipstream, if you're lucky enough to be the pilot, then you get to be strapped into a five-point harness. Everybody else is just thrown about the ship <laughs> for 16 hours. Or wandering the corridors. I mean, yeah. have you ever been on a really rough riding lawnmower for an hour? Yes. And you come out, you come back in the house, and you just feel like somebody just beat you up. You're numb for a while. Oh, yeah. 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 Try riding Slipstream for 16 hours. Yeah. Well, and, and I thought that was an interesting point, too, is is apparently they don't spend very much time in the slipstream at any given time, uh, maybe one or two or three jumps at a time at most. And and it's interesting. We learn Trance does not respond well. Her mm -hmm. physiology does not respond well to prolonged exposure to, to slipstream. Mm -hmm. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean... And let's just think about what we know. Okay. Okay. And I'm not giving anything away, um, but I'm just basing this purely on what do we what do we know already? Trance has at times been known to be a bit of a puppet master. Yeah. Uh, maybe acting a certain way and mm, tricking other people um, in order for a certain outcome mm -hmm. to come about. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, there's also the situation with Becca, where she's like, no, Becca, don't. But she doesn't really do anything to stop her. Right. And, you know, and, and I, I'm, of course, I know how the series ends up. But I'm just saying, what we have learned to this point, that, that makes sense. That it could be just Trance playing the puppet master. Yeah, again. well, because ultimately we forget about Trance being sick. About halfway through the episode, anyway, it's like there's not much attention given to. No, it. it's like she's dying. Well, Becca's on Flash, and she's just going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, if she dies, oh well. And when we I was, get to Tarvedra, <laughs> <laughs> when I was writing up my recap, I actually had to go back and rewrite part of that because I forgot to mention that Trance was almost dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know, and in the in this. That seems like it seems like they were going somewhere with Trance having the physical reaction to being mm -hmm. in the slipstream for so long. And then that just kind of it 
kind of went away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the other speculation is, even if she's not pulling any strings here, then maybe what they're doing there is just really reinforcing to the viewers that trance is something totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And so is slipstream navigation. Mm-hmm. However, um, and bringing this back around, Dylan does say something that I thought was interesting. Uh, toward the end of the, the episode... They're not going to make it to Tarnvedra. Dylan orders Rami to plot a course back to the Galactic Fringe. Really? I mean, Rami's going to plot the course through Slipstream. Yeah, yeah, does I'm that with com- you. Does that compute? No, it does not. <laughs> because doesn't it yeah. require a live pilot to be able you're to right. actually and, do and that? You're right, and I, I caught that. I forgot to write it down. Yeah. But but you're right. I, what What are they planning on doing? Yeah. And how do you plot a course for something that's supposed to be intuition? Or are they just going to go on impulse power? <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're going to get there. No, no, and no, no, no. That's, that's uh, what was it, FPL? Oh, PSL. 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 Right. Yeah, there you go. The impulse. That's the right. other show. Oh, okay, yeah. So they're, they're, going, to, they're going to go. Um, and I don't know what their max PSL is. PSL, of course, is percent of the speed of light. There you go. Um, but I don't know what the Andromeda's max PSL is. If the if the Andromeda can can go ninety nine PSL, well, hey, that's not bad. It'll still take them fifty thousand years. It's, it's like warp ten is not is technically not supposed to be reached, so they can go mm-hmm. PSL nine point nine 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 nine. Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it never just, can quite hit the speed of light. It's just the, the universal speed limit. There's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. Back to what I was, was mentioning right. there. Right, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> to me, it feels like even the writers don't really have a grasp of what Slipstream is and how it functions. Mm-hmm. We've made references to Star Trek, mm-hmm. and you mentioned the fact we're so used to warp drive, and faster than light travel and and travel being a certain uh perception. And this is so totally alien and different, which I like. I just I really wish the the writers would go back to Robert Hewitt Wolf's Bible if they haven't already. And maybe that's maybe that's Robert Hewitt Wolf's. Maybe he didn't put enough about slipstream. Maybe he just said they travel different and it's like quantum mechanic, qu- uh, string theory or something. Maybe there isn't enough detail, and I think this really kind of hurts this episode because they rely heavily on it to tell the story. I, I just feel like the, this is an episode that really kind of highlights the fact that the, the writers just they don't know what to do with Slipstream and how to write it in a way that kind of explains or kind of intimates how it works to the to us, the mm-hmm. viewer. In a way that that's satisfying, mm-hmm. yeah. and really, that's that's ultimately what this comes down to. I don't like slipstream. <laughs> there, I just said it. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool concept, but uh, it's problematic and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand why certain things have to be for storytelling. It's cool that they did something different, but at the same time, it introduces a lot of questions that I don't feel like I'm getting answers to yeah i maybe if they had just taken it a little further and given us some sort of explanation for why they have to go through different slip points 
to yeah. get from one point to another. Yeah. Because, yeah, like we've already stated, I mean, it, it, if it's all supposed to be on intuition, it's like you just, yeah, just think of a place and there you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right. right. You're we, right. You're right. It's problematic. <laughs> well, let's move on. Then. Okay. Let's let's learn about let's learn about uh, our characters. Let's okay. talk about them. Obviously, we have to talk about Becca. I, th- I think Becca might have a problem. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I did. I thought she did a great job. Lisa Ryder uh, did a great job at the change in demeanor. Um. You talk about how difficult it is to act outside of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, drunk or uh, high or, yeah, or just altered. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think she does a great job with this. I love how she starts getting snippy. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. You brought it out in your summary too. I think she just, she does a great job with the high version mm-hmm. of Becca Valentine. I thought it was great. Yeah. There was one point in particular that, um, Kind of, kind of gave me chills just a little bit. It was that the, I can't even explain exactly. You just have to see it. Um, when she orders the lemonade, yeah, just the way she just turns her, she just snaps her head back up, and and orders the lemonade. And I, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it. But yeah, there was just something about that moment that I was just like, wow. That was an incredible moment for Lisa Ryder, right there. It was nuanced. Mm-hmm. I mean, she 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 knew how to play out the nuances of her character in that altered state, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was great to watch. That said, we got an after-school special in a couple of places. Eh. Would you agree with me? You know what i I had a feeling this was going to go there, <laughs> and. Um, yes, <laughs> but also at the same time, I'm not sure that you can have a show dealing with this subject and it not get a little bit after school specialisty. Um, yeah. because they have to address the problem and everybody else on the ship is against it. And uh, they vo- they have to voice their concerns. Yeah. And I think if um, I, I can't say this for sure, but I think that if if Ethan, I found out that you had a meth addiction, and I came to you and I was like, "Dude, you, this is bad. You got to knock this off." Um, and someone happened to be recording it. I think it might come across a little bit after school special, a little preachy. I mean, Maybe, yeah. I just don't know how you how you go about talking about these things without it coming across that way. I'll put it this way: okay. I I didn't I didn't have a problem at all with trance looking at what Becca was doing mm-hmm. and calling her out on it. Yeah, I feel like that would have had they written that just a little bit differently. You you could have had trance handle that, and and it. To me, I don't know what it is, but to me, that seemed to have worked better than Harper. Harper has questionable morals <laughs> to, to begin with, right? I, I have, we've established that. Yeah. He, he's a bit, yeah, mm-hmm. you know? So for him to kind of step up, I mean, and, and yeah, it's one thing to say, you know, that stuff's dangerous. I mean, 
but at the same time, it, I don't know. I don't know. It just seemed wrong for Harper to to step up so strongly and to be so. You got to stop this. I don't know. I kind of had a. I I felt like that could have been done differently. Yeah, differently. He did. He did confront her, and he was very straightforward about it. But then, as one of my favorite expressions, what did he do? He folded like a cheap tent. Yeah. Yes, he did. So, I mean, it wasn't that strong of a front. True. True. And uh, and then at the end, Dylan, hey, he's just being her friend. Yeah. After school special or not, you would hope that someone would, would treat you that way well, when you're trying to get through this. I, I think, and that wasn't even the after school moment. That was, it was starting to tip into that. <laughs> Where I really felt like it felt like after school special was when Tyr gets on his... Little diatribe okay, about yeah. it too. That was just like, this is wrong. There, and yeah. we are not talking about Flash anymore. We are talking <laughs> about any abuse of any <laughs> addicting substance, alcohol, uh-huh. whatever the case may be. Whatever your addiction is, it's wrong. Get free of it. It will kill you. It will. It will reduce your ability to enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. I kind of forgot about that part, but you're right. That. Yeah, that was the most preachy, the most after-school special part, to me, of the whole episode. But also, from a Nietzschean standpoint, you can understand why he would have the the opinion that he does. Yeah. Um, And and basically, we're looking at a ship of enablers. (laughs) Because, you know, everyone told her, that's bad, you shouldn't, no, don't, but... You know, when but when she says that she knows what she's doing, well, let's well, go. All right, it. okay. It seems yeah. to be working. <laughs> uh, you know what? And she also makes the the point. She makes the argument that this is what this stuff was designed for. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because what I want to come back to that. Um, what would you say, in your opinion, is Flash really the analog of in our universe today? I'm not familiar enough with mind-altering drugs to be able to make a correlation. Excellent answer. <laughs> <laughs> if if I had to, to, to just pin down one particular substance, I would say they're probably kind of talking about meth here. Okay. That's just kind of what it seems to be to Well, me. it's something I'm, that you can cook up mm-hmm. on your own, which is apparently what Becca does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just something that just... One time grabs a hold of you yeah. so hard, and and that's something that that meth is known for doing. Yeah, and um, we had a we had a, a speaker come to my high school. I remember this, and this was one of the biggest reasons why I stayed away from the stuff was because uh, the way he explained it was you know you you use a meth, you get that first high. And it releases so many chemicals in your brain that it is a feeling that you have never, ever experienced, nor will you ever experience again. It only works that first time. Mm. But a person becomes so addicted to that sensation that they continue to chase it. Yeah. And so they continue to up the dosage, trying to get that again, but they never do. Yeah. Until eventually they start bleeding out of their eyes and then fall down in the slipstream core. <laughs> Yeah. I might be mixing universes, but, but you know what I'm I get, saying. I get the point, though. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, you know, 
she says that this is what it was designed for. Um, meth was also designed for a purpose. It was just developed by the Nazis. <laughs> and then, then they decided that it was too dangerous and it was resulting in too many people dying. They quit using it. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. Are you telling the truth? Yes, okay. I'm, yes, right. I am. Yeah, it, uh, <clears throat> because you kind of start having the same sort of symptoms, very fidgety, um, paranoia. Yeah. And, yeah, but it, but it keeps you awake for days. Yeah. So. So, so yeah, so we have this, and, and I, and I'm, I'm coming down, it sounds like I'm coming down on it too hard, you know, by calling it an after school special. I say that because, I look back fondly on the after school specials that I watched as a, a young teen. <laughs> you know, really, um, <laughs> because I was I was always like, "Where is my Garfield cartoon? <laughs> what is this?" Yeah. Well, you know, I had a I had a friend of mine in the school that I went to. He actually was in one of the PSAs on the local TV station, so that was kind of cool to always see Ben on the Don't Do Drugs PSA that the local station always ran. Hmm. So I kind of, you know, I, I have an affinity for them. Okay. So, that aside, I say after school special, but it is a message that is spot on. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the unfortunate thing is, is, is we look to entertainment, we look to television or movies or to teach us moral guidelines and lessons, and that's kind of sad. So, yeah, it comes across as preachy, but it is a message that, you know, maybe you and I, we, we understand, we get it, and so we can kind of poke fun at it, but there's probably a large part of the viewing population that, for them, this is, oh, yeah, I need to clean clean myself up. <laughs> and that's, it's sad that we, you know, we have that problem now, and then, barring some major change 3,000 years from now, it's still going to be a downfall of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of it that way. They're probably... There were probably plenty of druggies watching that episode that just didn't get it at all, True. too, because they were, you know, high. So, moving away from Becca, uh, we also learn a little bit more about Tyr. Not a whole lot, but, I mean, we, we've joked about Tyr having great hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or some sort of, he knows what's going on <laughs> at all times. Mm-hmm. But his power of observation and hearing... Uh, combined, uh, he 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 knew Becca was high, mm-hmm. uh, even though the contacts were preventing others from being able to you know visibly be able to to discern that she was on flash. Because he mentions her elevated heart rate, he can hear her heart racing. Mm-hmm. He can smell the adrenaline, adrenaline yeah. mm-hmm. pumping through her. So yeah, we've got sight, we've got hearing, we've got smell. And he can see the sheen of sweat on her. And what was the other point? You can see the contacts. Oh, yeah, the contact. Yeah, yeah you could discern that there were contacts in place. Wow. <laughs> and then she rightfully calls him Uber. <laughs> well, yeah, he was pretty. That was pretty Uber of him to to notice all of that. Um, so yeah, it's it isn't that he's just a strong guy, or that he can outthink his opponent. He has got superhuman abilities. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, similar to Superman. Yeah. I do remember there was an episode, I didn't watch it all the time, but there was an episode of Lois and Clark 
who starred uh, Dean Cain. You may remember. Yes. We could not get that totally name last week. butchered that last time Dean we referenced Kane. Lois and Clark. But um, but anyway, he did that when he he and Lois, when he was Clark Kent, and yeah. and they were out re- reporting, mm-hmm. getting a story, and he he noticed with his Superman vision, he, he could notice in her uh, in the in the carotid artery that it was just boom 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 boom, and he told Lois she's lying. How do you know? Well, his heart her heart rate was blah 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 blah. How do you know that? Oh, it's just an expression, you know. <laughs> and he tried to explain it away, but anyway, I remembered that, yeah. and it stuck with me. And so then, when I see Tear do this, that was exactly what I thought of was Superman. Yeah, Nietzscheans, or at least Tear, have Superman-like super- abilities. They are Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one more thing, one more feather in the Nietzschean cap. Yeah. All right, so so to round out what we've learned about okay. uh, the universe here. All right, let's come back to it. We, okay. put, we put a pin in it earlier, and I almost forgot it, but you brought it up here. Uh, the exchange in the hallway between Becca and Harper. Mm-hmm. Harper is walking by her and says, in reference to Tarn Vedra, do you think the engine... And then he gets cut off. Mm-hmm. Becca cuts him off. Mm-hmm. Ex-nay. Right. Which is pig Latin for what? Cut it out? <laughs> Whatever that is. Nix. Yeah, nix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. So she cuts him off, and all he gets out is the engine. Mm-hmm. The engine of, of. The engine of. What? Ixnay. Seamus. Yeah. Yeah. So we get down to the heart of why Becca wants to go to Tarn Vedra. You know, she, she's she's played on Dylan, mm-hmm. on his emotions of wanting to go home. She's played on Tear, gets Tear on board mm-hmm. um, with weapons. Mm-hmm. But the real reason why she wants to go is there's something there. Right, the engine of. The engine of. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to come back to this in the series? We do. Great. Yes. So I'm gonna, we're going to get that answer, huh? Right. The, the answer to that little exchange that we're we going to uh, get to go on a little journey to look for the engine of. Oh, so so this is actually a significant interaction that we have here. Hmm. It was supposed to be. Mm. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Way to, so, to deflate the uh, expectations <laughs> just a bit. No, and you know what? Because we know <laughs> when you say it was supposed to be means. <laughs> We're probably not going to get what we think we're going to get. Yeah, we. I mean, we do go back to this, the engine of. We find out what is the what, what of it is the engine. <laughs> well put. Okay. <laughs> um. And and we also we get a whole episode devoted to this engine of whatever it is. Okay. And then we lose Robert Hewitt Wolf. Mm. And then uh, it's one of those things that just. Gets left on the cutting room, on the gets left on the cutting room floor. Great. So, yeah, this was um, that's kind of one of the things that is really so cool about this is that it is such a very very quick thing. And honestly, if I had not been looking at the transcript, uh, I always read the transcripts for every episode. If I had not been looking at the transcript, I probably would not have caught it. Yeah. Because I, it was just so... I watched the episode two times Tarn before... Tarn Vredra, do you think that's where... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you know, that's all I get. Yeah. 
audibly, but then when you read it, the engine of, I know it's coming, so I know what he was going to finish that sentence with. Yeah. And yeah, but it, it, it's it's definitely something that is very, very important because you see that they have, I don't know if it's a common goal, but it's definitely a goal for Becca. Yeah. And Harper is fully aware of it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he is in on it with her, you know, we're not sure. But he definitely knows about it. He knows enough to ask her, yeah, is this what we're going after for? Is it? Is this what we're going after? Yeah. No, and, I, and I love when series do this. Mm-hmm. When they give you something to look forward to. And that's very much what this felt like, is something to look forward to. I'm saying a quote here. Okay. Come bitter rain, and wash from my heart the saddest of all words, home. That's our quote for the episode. Sounds like something from the 19th century. I'm thinking Edgar Allan Poe. It's actually the Eula Tempa Poetess, Song of My Exile, Commonwealth Year 9825. I was a little bit off. Eh, just a few thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. But it's nice to know that dark, dreary, weary poetry has not changed that much. Yeah. You see what I did there? Yes, I do. Uh, It's universal, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Well, and it's a great saying, because obviously this uh, tips us to Dylan's attitude. Dylan's homesick. Dylan wants to go home. Tarn Vedra is his home. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, we didn't even talk about what we learned about Dylan, and, and we did learn a lot about him yeah. and the, the type of environment that he grew up in. It sounds like if you were a kid that grew up in, I don't know, Bern, Switzerland or something, and your father was an emperor, or um, not an emperor, and your father was a ambassador and your mother was, <laughs> suddenly I got the mental image of, of, of a very stout German woman in in, in Lederhosen, <laughs> which she's a high-gravity worlder, or a high-gravity shuttle pilot, actually, yeah. is what he refers to mm-hmm. her as. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it sounds like he grew up in this great, enriching uh, environment. And, and, of course, of course he misses it and, and would want to go home. But uh, as of right now, he, he still can't. And so, yeah, home is kind of, uh, you know, it's lost to him. Yeah, and and it kind of shows just you know the, the transition of what he's what he's going through and what he knows kind of needs to happen. Unfortunately for him, because he knows he can't get back. Yeah, there's this one attempt. It's, man, it's really reaching. And he's willing to go for it, but he's not optimistic about this. Right, right. He's like, Becca says it'll work. I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah. It, it's probably not going to happen. And then he has enough sense about him to when he sees that things are not going well. Pull back. Oh, yeah. I mean, just pull the plug on this because it's, it's not worth it. Well, it's not we, worth losing my crew, my ship, my own life. They got caught between the two non-existent super black holes in the center of the Andromeda galaxy. Right. Um, and Yeah, because yeah, one of them up. is called Rock. And the other was Hard Place. Was that, it? Was that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, because they were stuck between them. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the bitter rain, you know, and... 
that's just kind of the the harshness of the reality mm-hmm. of of what has to be washed away from his heart is that is that that memory not the memory but just the 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 realism of the, that or the realization of that home that you can't go back there yeah yeah and yeah so it's just, it's just got to be excruciating it's pain they say you you can never go back home yeah he really can't yeah he physically he can literally not, cannot go back home yeah it's it, it can't. Yep, can't be done. There's there's no roads that go there. <coughs> you can't think your way. You can't intuition your way to Tarn Vedra. And you certainly can't plot a course. Yeah. And I don't know why either of those are the case. <laughs> exactly. Uh. But evidently, the divine has forgotten Tarn Vedra. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. When I first read that quote. I really didn't know too much of what to think of it, uh, but then really looking into this episode and looking at it through Dylan's eyes, that's really what this this poem. G- give us the 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 who wrote it and then the title of where it came from. The the Eula Tempa poetess song of my exile. Yeah, song of my exile, mm-hmm. and and that really to me is even more telling because as I was thinking about it. Dylan is exiled from home. Yes, he cannot get back to his home of Tarnvedra. He's also exiled from his time. Yeah. So, uh, double whammy. He 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 can't get home. He can't get back to his own time. I mean, he really is as as much as possible exiled from everything that he knew. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that's what he mentions in that uh, that his last birthday was spent on Tarnvedra. With Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of which he realizes he will probably never see again. Although he did see Sarah again. But... Yeah, but not anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That wasn't the last time he saw Sarah. But, yeah. That was his... <laughs> and that's the problem with time travel in sci-fi. But, anyway. um, So, I guess let's, let's get down to it. Let's talk about the episode then, as far as... Uh, just your feeling on it. Where, where do you? St- where does this episode stand for you? Well, like we've already talked about, I, I have some issues with Slipstream. And, and I would really like to see some exposition or some explanation that kind of takes some of these loose ends that we've got and in concepts of how it works and would really make them more solidified. I would love to see that in a future season. Uh, whether I get it or not, I don't know. If it never gets answered, okay. But I, I, you know, I have a problem with Slipstream and how it's portrayed, and I really have questions, uh, several questions raised that I don't get answers in this particular episode. That being said, this was an episode about Becca and her problem with addiction and how she is going to have to wrestle with that for the rest of her life. And it, it's a, it's it's a great message, and we harp on the how it's delivered and after school special and whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. But like we came down to in the discussion, it's a message that has to be given because there are so many that do have addiction problems, whatever the case may be. So I love this episode for the fact that it, it, it gives the right message. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got to fight it and, and you can't stop fighting it and, and you can't go back because mm-hmm. if you go back, Chances are you go down that rabbit hole and you never come back out of it again. 
So, uh, and then just the simple fact of of, of Lisa Ryder's acting for this. Uh, my son was watching the episode with me, and he shivered at her cackle because <laughs> she has a cackle that sounds like the Wicked Witch of the West. You know, it was it was it was visceral and it was very real sounding. You know, and her as an actress really sells the addiction part and, and just how bad it can be. And, and I think it was a great performance by Lisa Ryder. She absolutely deserved the the two thousand one. Uh, Gemini nomination that she got. Obviously, she didn't win it, but she got the nomination, and that's great that you would be recognized for your body of work, uh, particularly with that with that particular episode. That said, it was a great episode. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I enjoyed the message that it that it gave. It was a good episode. <clears throat> You're right about um, some of the things, that, some of the problems that it had. Um, the slipstream. Very confusing. Just kind of muddied the water there on our understanding, um, our misunderstanding of the nature of slipstream and how it works or doesn't work. Um, and yeah, there were a few parts that were a little campy, a little cheesy. But like I said before, how do you address those things without it coming across that way, even just a little bit? Yeah. But what they said were things that had to be said. And I liked that at the end of it, um, Becca didn't just come out at the end of this episode with the problem licked. Yeah. There was, there was kind of a, there, there was definitely a, a sober overtone. Yes. And not just cause she's sober now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a realization. This is, this is, this is a battle for life now. Uh, you know, it's the same way they say an alcoholic is always an alcoholic. You don't stop becoming an alcoholic just because you've stopped drinking. Yeah. She doesn't cease being a flash addict because she's not using anymore. Yeah. For the rest of her life, she's a flash flash addict, and she has to live with that, and she has to deal with that. She has a support group. Yeah. So, you know, know, those are all things that that are important, things that need to be addressed, and, and... for the most part, I think they were handled well. Now, the episode, um, overall, I enjoyed watching this episode. Um, as a Flash episode, I think I enjoyed watching this one maybe even more than I liked uh, the, the pearls that were his eyes. Yeah. This one was lacking Uncle Sid. That's too bad. <laughs> but it's okay. Um, this was... It was very action-packed, very, uh, not action-packed, but there was just, there was so much going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Really keeps your attention, and and it was smart, Yeah, I felt like. And so, just overall, I got to give this a very high grade. I really enjoyed this episode, I enjoyed watching it, I enjoyed talking about it, and yeah. I, I, will, I will make the observation of all of the quote-unquote ship-in-a-bottle episodes that we've gotten, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't really enjoyed them mm-hmm. all that much. E- even last week, you know, it was kind of mm, plotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my favorite. And, and that's how all of these, all the ones that take place just on Andromeda, that's kind of how I felt about them. Yeah, you know, good points about them. But this one I come away from, it's very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I like this one a lot, too. Well, that's our thoughts. 
Um, if you, the listeners, have any thoughts, any uh, opinions, things that you would like to share with us, then uh, please do. Please get in contact with us. Uh, Ethan, how could they do that? We would love to get an email or two or three uh, at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. We are at AndromedaPod. Follow us there and uh, keep up to date with all the things that are going on here on the Andromeda Show. We are on Podbean, andromedaseries.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Uh, and if you listen there, subscribe, give us some stars, give us a review. We'd certainly appreciate it. We want to thank Tim Kimmerly again for, his, uh, for lending us his voice for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production. And join us back here again next week as we wrap up the first season. Can you believe that? Hard to believe. Next week, it's our come around at last. (laughs) 